Well, as most of you know, we've been in the Psalms this summer. And uh, Psalms are great to preach in the summer because, as Phil alluded to, there's vacation. You're, you're in and out. You know, the Reeds have just, just got back a while ago. And, um, you know, others, we just got back and, and you're in and out. But the great thing about the Psalms, you can take a psalm each Sunday and it doesn't matter if you were here last Sunday or the two Sundays before. That's really not building and growing and crescendoing. It's just one message to stand alone. And so they're great for the summer to be a self-contained unit, self-contained message. And so rather than hitting Leviticus, which we're going to start in the fall during the summer months when there's scattered attendance, I wanted to just just open our, our eyes to some psalms. Secondly, I want to preach you some psalms just to help you grow in familiarity with maybe some psalms you're not so familiar with. I know that for myself it's been helpful. I, I wasn't so familiar early in the summer with Psalm 4 and Psalm 5. But having preached them and having thought on them and meditated on them, I'm much more familiar with them now and, and their message. And uh, so similarly, like this morning, Psalm 105 is not a psalm that I would have been able to tell you much about until this week. I really studied it and got my heart just, just in there. And, and I just hope this is that just some of these psalms that we've, we've talked about, maybe they're unfamiliar to you today right now. But as we preach through them, they'll be like a little bit more familiar to you. And I know that the Psalms are, are much read portions of Scripture. You know, I think the Gideons hand out a New Testament and the Psalms. And so people sometimes even just go to the Psalms for help and encouragement because they, they, they call us to worship, and rightly so. Tehillim is the Hebrew word for Psalms. It means worship. Um, but also, Psalms deal with the real struggles of life. David saying, where are you, God? And they're struggling. Asaph says, I almost forsook my faith in Psalm 73, but then I came back to God. Psalm 77 just even seeks about, has your loving kindness, O Lord, ceased? Have you stopped to be loving, extend your loving kindness to me? And just because it's a, it's a real feeling of real people to get in the heart of the people of God, that it's something that I've wanted to, to help us with, to catch the heart of God. And so this morning, as we're in Psalm 105, that's my aim as well, is that this would be helpful to your soul as you reflect upon just God and what He's done and your call to worship Him. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into Psalm 105. <clears throat> oh Lord, I pray right now for, for help for me is to evaluate what to communicate, what to say. I pray for Your working in the people's hearts here today, that just they might have open hearts that are receptive to your word. I pray here at Rock Valley Bible Church, Lord, that we would see that it's, it's really your word is what we have. Now, we don't have a lot of shows or gimmicks or, or high power uh, music or relationship. We, we just have you, Lord, and your word is sufficient for us. And we profess that now. And so as your word comes to us, I pray that You would stir our hearts afresh in what Psalm 105 calls us to, that we'd reflect upon it, that we would remember most of all, God, that You are remembering God, that You remember Your covenant. May we not forget this. May Psalm 105 become more familiar to us that in months, years to come, as we read through the Psalms again, perhaps each year, maybe that's the practice of people, I pray that Psalm 105 would would come as a balm to their soul, would come as refreshing and helpful to stir them to worship. And so we pray for your help right now as I preach. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, Psalm 105 in your, your pew Bible, it's talk, we're talking page 437. If you want to get there, before I read it, I want to say that Psalm 105 is a lot like Psalm 103 that I preached last week. In fact, it's a lot like Psalm 104 and it's a lot like Psalm 106. Psalm 103 last week began with praise, end with praise, and in the middle gave reasons for praise. That's the same pattern for Psalm 104 and Psalm 105 this morning and Psalm 106, Lord willing, next week. Um, Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 go together. Psalm 103 speaks about the compassion of God. Psalm 104 speaks about the creation of God. Psalm 105 speaks about just how God was faithful to His people Israel. And Psalm 106 basically says the same thing, but talks about how unfaithful the people of Israel were to the Lord. Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 go together, almost they say the exact same thing. But Psalm 105 has a hinge, just like Psalm 103 did. You remember in Psalm 103 how the hinge came at the end of verse 2. Forget none of His benefits. Because we're blessed the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. But, and, and forget none of the benefits. And then the whole psalm practically was about the benefits that God had given to us. Now, so also in Psalm 105, the hinge comes in verse 5. Remember His wonders which He has done, His marvels, and the judgments uttered by His mouth. In other words, remember everything that God has done for us. Not, not so much just the benefits, but everything that God has done. And there's lots of overlap in those. But the flavor of Psalm 105 is a little bit different. Rather than just, just talking about benefits that God has given to us in His grace and His goodness, Psalm 105 is going to walk through Israel's history. 500 years of history, beginning with Abraham. Okay, so you think about Abraham, you think about 2000 B.C. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the whole deal with Joseph and then Moses and the entrance into the promised land. That's about 500 years, maybe 600 years because they entered the promised land about 1400 B.C. In fact, it just goes through history. It's like it's like a little mini history lesson in Psalm 105. And, And because so much space is devoted to reflection of history, Psalm 105 has been called a historical psalm. Along with Psalm 106, it practically tells the same story. And there's another historical psalm in the Bible. It's Psalm 78, which is another lengthy psalm that goes through the history of Israel. Psalm 136 might be a historical psalm, but it's it's going through the nation of, of Israel with that stanza, for His loving kindness is everlasting, for His loving kindness is everlasting, His loving kindness is everlasting. You take all those out, it is much like a historical psalm. But in both Psalm 105 and Psalm 106, we are called to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because of what He has done. And in fact, if you look here, verses 1 through 5, just the, the, the commands to praise come rapid fire. And it is a celebratory song. And in fact, Psalm 105 was used in the history of Israel in a celebratory sense. The first half of the psalm, I think it's verses 1 through 22, is what I, what I think, is that in, in 1 Chronicles 16, it describes when the Ark of the Covenant finally came into Jerusalem to rest in the tabernacle. And David was so excited that he was shouting and rejoicing and dancing around because the ark, which was in Shiloh, had now come into Jerusalem. And the people were rejoicing and they used these first 22 verses in that worship. David had assigned Asaph and his relatives the duty of giving thanks to the Lord on that day. And they spoke these very words. 
So maybe as I read this, maybe it would be helpful for you to, to picture that day when the Ark of the Covenant is being moved from Shiloh onto Mount Moriah inside the tabernacle there to rest in Jerusalem. David's excited. The whole nation of Israel is excited. And Asaph and his relatives sing this song. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Speak of all His wonders. Glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His wonders which He has done. His marvels and the judgments uttered by His mouth. O seed of Abraham, His servant. O sons of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He has remembered His covenant forever. The word which He commanded to a, th- to a thousand generations. The covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac. And then He confirmed it to, to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When they were few men in number, very few and strangers in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them. And he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. And he called for a famine upon the land. And he broke the whole staff of bread. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And they afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. And the king sent and released him and the ruler of peoples and set him free and made him lord of his house and ruler over all his possessions to imprison his princess at will that he might teach his elders wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt. Thus Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And he caused his people to be very fruitful and he made them stronger than their adversaries. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. And he sent Moses, his his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his wondrous acts among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die, and their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of the kings. He spoke and there came swarms of flies and gnats in all their territory. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He struck down their vines, also their fig trees, and shattered the trees of their territory. He spoke and locusts came, and young locusts, even without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He also struck down all the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their vigor. Then he brought them out with silver and gold. And among his tribes, there was not one who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to illumine by night. They asked and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water flowed out. It rained in the dry places like a river. And he remembered his holy word with Abraham, his servant. And he brought forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout. He gave them also the lands of the nations that they might take possession of the fruits of the people's labor so that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord.
I find two applications in the psalm. The first comes in verses 1 through 6. It's this, glorify God. Glorify God. In the first six verses, 11 commands. Bang, 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 bang. All of them speak about the glory of God. They, they speak about how we can sing His praise and tell others of His greatness or seek His heart or simply bring to mind all the great things that God has done by all this. They just speak about how we glorify God and we are to praise Him because of the wonders which He has done, as verse 5 says. I mean, did you catch how fast they come? Let me just read through them again. I just want to spend some time reflecting upon the different ways in which we can worship the Lord, glorify God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people, sing to Him, sing praises to Him, speak of all His wonders. Glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His wonders which He has done, His marvels and judgments He has uttered with His mouth. There's just an overflow of the, the psalmist who just says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, speak of Him, lift up His voice, seek God. Over and over and over again. I just want to run through these phrases just to continue to, to help us see what it means to glorify God. First of all, give thanks to the Lord. It's when we acknowledge the gifts that God has given to us. That may be as simple as life or creation or food that God has given. See, God isn't trying to have us repay Him for everything that He has given to us. That would be impossible. That's not honoring to, the, to God to try to say, okay, well, thanks for that. Here, I'm going to give it back. Any more than when you receive a gift from somebody, if you try to say, oh, thank you for, thank you for that book. Oh, here, here's $10. I'm going to pay for that book. That, that's, not, that's not true thanks. Thanks just says, oh, I'm thankful that you've had the opportunity to give to me and I receive it gratefully. It's an expression of gratitude. And that, that's what God wants from our lips is thanks to Him. Call upon His name. This is kind of the flip side of giving thanks. Call, you, you call upon His name when you're in trouble. Right? You, you, you give thanks when good things have been given and you call upon His name as an expression of need. Maybe it's not great need, but just calling upon God. And, and in doing that, saying, I'm not self-sufficient in and of myself, but I, I need Your help, O oh Lord. I'm calling upon You. That shows our dependence. And in the fact that we don't show our self-sufficiency, showing our need to God, God is greatly glorified because He's the one that satisfies all our need. Make known His deeds among the peoples. That's just spreading the fame of God's name. You think about when a, a beat reporter for the newspaper goes to the Friday night football game and, and writes about how well the quarterback did in the game. What happens? It brings attention and honor to the quarterback. Or when a magazine features some musical talent on, on their cover and follows it up with an article on their pages, it brings attention and honor to the musician. And so likewise, when we speak or write to others of the great things that God has done for us, it brings attention to God and gives reason to honor Him and to glorify Him. And so, think about this. We can even glorify God by on a horizontal realm telling others of the great things that God has done. Fourth command, sing to Him. Maybe this is the first thing that comes to mind when you think about worshiping the Lord is, is singing. And, and, and rightly so in many ways. When God puts a song in your heart, it must be sung. And God is the one to whom we sing. As a lover would sing a song of praise to his sweetheart, so also we sing our song of love to God in love for everything that He has done for us. Sing praises to Him. There's another, just singing psalm. It's a virtual synonym. It just means extolling Him, exalting Him, seeing how great He is, giving Him the honor that is due Him. And then again, number six, right? It's uh, the second part. 
of verse 2. Speak of all His wonders. Again, that's a horizontal thing. That's just telling of, of the greatness of God, the wonders of, of all that, that He has done. His miracles, His provision, His protection, His, His grace and favor and kindness. And in fact, we're going to see that's what all of Psalm 105 is about. It's about telling everybody of the deeds of the Lord, of what God has done, and that gives glory to Him. Or, or as it says in verse 3, the, the seventh command is just glory in His holy name. To, to glorify His name here means just to praise Him, lift Him high, show Him great for who He is, and enjoy the fact that He is utterly different from us. He's got a holy name. We're, we're sinners, but His name is so distinct and so different and so sanctified and pure that we worship Him who knows no sin. Or number eight, let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. This is the first of three phrases that speak about seeking the Lord. If you look there at the end of verse three, it's where we are. Seek, let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Verse four says, seek the Lord in his strength. Verse four says, seek his face continually. That's just talking about finding the Lord. It's talking about just not telling others about him but really pursuing Him to know God in experience, to experience Him. And so it's, it's, about, it's about treasuring God. And, and verse 3 is even speaking about the, the treasure hunters. Let, let, let those who are seeking for the treasure of God, let them be glad, not only in what they find in God, but also the process of seeking Him is a way God reveals Himself to you. And in that way, you can be glad. And, and seeking the Lord in His strength. That just, that just says, I'm weak, but I'm going I'm to seek my strength really from the Lord because God is the one who can give us everything we need, though we are insufficient in and of ourselves. We're going to find out that there's no doctrine or, or no theology or, or no philosophy or way of thinking is really going to help. But what helps is the Lord Himself and His strength that He gives to us. And God is found by those who seek Him with all their heart or seek His face continually. That means all the time. That means just face to face with God, quorum Deo, in the face of God, continually. That that is a characteristic of all believers in Christ. That we're not living life alone, but we're walking with God. That's why Paul said in First Thessalonians five that we should pray always and give thanks always, right? Always ceasing in those things because we're walking with God, we're communing with God, we're seeking His face continually, twenty four seven, three sixty five. Finally, verse five. We come to the last one, which I believe is really the crux of this psalm. Remember His wonders which He has done, His marvels and the judgments uttered from His mouth. That is Psalm 105. Psalm 105 is a psalm of remembrance. It looks back to all the wonderful things that God did for Israel. But it's not just this intellectual look back. Okay, It's, it's history that gives God glory. It, it, it's such that history that, that stirs our heart to sing the praises of God. And, and so this morning, if you're, if you're looking for some fuel to, to empower your worship or your empower your seeking of God or empower your knowledge of Him, good fuel is is God's historical acts and circumstances of what He has done with His people. We put, we put fuel in a car to see it go. And if you want to see your worship ascend, put fuel into understanding the history of what God has done. And I just say that's a, it's a good word for us to look back at the wonderful things God has done and may that stir us, as Psalm 105 says, to... To read, to worship the Lord. And so that's why reading historical books of the Old Testament can lead us into praise of God. 
Because that's what's going to happen here. He's going to talk all about the story of, of Exodus and what God did in Exodus. But, you know what, beyond that, there is the story of Joshua to tell. And there's the story of Judges. And the story of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1st 2 Samuel and Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah. And looking back at the, those historical books of the way that God worked can give us fuel to praise God. And so likewise, we can read the book of Acts. As we read this morning. You know, Phil is reading Acts 25 and I, I'm thinking... So is that helpful? It is helpful because you see how God was working in the life of Paul and that can stir us to praise as well. But especially when you take the whole scope of Acts and how God was working in the early church, how the word of the Lord was mighty and prevailing and how he protected his people and how he guided them, how he prevented them from going here and there, but guided them into Macedonia through a vision, through a call, through the spirit directing them that that will fuel our worship when we think about God and who he is and what he's done. But also, I do believe that we can study church history and be stirred equally as well to see the way, the way that God took a few disciples, like the disciples of Jesus, and turned the world upside down with them and has spread this message of the gospel, Christ crucified for our sins, that has lasted for 2,000 years and has prevailed and has gone on strong. And so I say this, are you a student of church history? Are you a student of history? Do you know that history is really His story? It's the story that God is writing. So I just thought today about, you know, some, some books. So I, I went to the, the church library here. And so I'm going to put them back in the church library and they're done. But Justo Gonzalez has a great two-volume, real easy to read. Uh, not real easy, I guess. Not, not so difficult to read. Books about the history of the church. From Christ unto almost the present. I think this was written maybe 30 years ago or something like that, but it brings us much up into the modern age. These would be great books to read about the history of what God has done in the history of the Christian church, and it will help fuel your worship for the Lord. Or, like here's, here's a great book written by Leland Riken, professor at Wheaton. I'm not sure if he's retired or not. Is he retired? You know, he's retired. Uh, this, I remember this, Puritans, worldly saints, they really were. You kind of read the history of the Puritans and what, what really drove them. There's a, a history book that was, in the, um, that was in the library. Fox's Book of Martyrs. God has used this book greatly down through the ages. You read the, the, the stories of those who have died for Christ. And that has fueled probably more people to, to serve and die for Christ than anything else. In fact, I, I know that in the 19, I think it was 50s, I forget, when Jim Elliott was speared on that beach in Ecuador, that stirred many, many thousands of people to go to the mission field because they said, if this is worth dying for, I'm ready to go as well. But Fox's Book of Martyrs didn't obviously cover that. It was written in the, whatever, 1600s. I think John Fox was a, a Puritan and just compiled, trying to compile for the church all the martyrs. This is a great, this is a great read. And here's, a, here's another book, 50 People Every Christian Should Know. And just kind of surveys from old, from you know, whatever, Augustine to Calvin to present to different people. And this just gives you a glimpse of people. And, and I know that nothing, well, not nothing, m- Christian biography has been used by God to stir many people to love and worship him and serve him. And this just talks about other Christians, how God is working in their life will stir you as well. And so I see this here is that if you want to fuel your worship, be a student of, of history. That was Old Testament history and God worked there. New Testament history, how God worked there. Or present, modern day, church history. Study what God has done and your soul will be stirred to worship. In fact, I just want to pray now that He would give us this passion from history. 
Lord, I would pray that that we all in this room would would understand God, just the, the scope of the Bible. It is a story. It is a novel. It's not an encyclopedia where we learn facts about you. It's a storybook that you you started with the creation of the world where, where Adam and Eve then fell and the world was destroyed and Noah and the flood. But you chose Abraham out of all the, the people of the earth from Ur the Chaldeans and you brought him into the land and went from Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and how you worked and you protected them and you guided them even through this miraculous story of Joseph. And then Joshua led them into the promised land and the, the judges, weak though they were, God, you strengthened them in mighty, mighty ways and, and how even kings ruled your nation in a, in a uh, bad way sometimes, in a good way sometimes. But you were working in the life of King Saul. You're working in David's life and in Solomon's life and in all the other kings' lives. And, and sometimes it worked for good and sometimes they worked for bad. And you brought them there. And then the church, when Christ came, the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Covenant has come. And, and then Christ and everything that He did was transform these disciples and the Gospel spread and, and just made the Roman Empire a holy Roman Empire in a matter of 300 years through deeds of love and mercy. And the church has not... Um, falling back or shrinking back. It is going exactly as you have planned. You've raised up men throughout the ages down through, through time to help us and guide us. And you have given them power to do miraculous deeds and wonderful works. And so, God, I would pray that you would help us to have a heart and a passion for understanding how you have worked in this world and ultimately today in Psalm 105, I pray that that would stir our hearts to, to worship you, O oh God. To, to stir our hearts to sing your praise and to lift your, high, your name high and to seek your face and to seek it continually. God, I pray you would grant that. I pray that you would help. In Christ's name, amen. Alright, there's my first point this morning is glorify God. My second point this morning Going from verses 6 through 45 is remember His faithfulness. Remember His faithfulness. We see the summary statement in verses 6 and 7. O seed of Abraham, His servant. O sons of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Right here you see that this is a, a Jewish psalm. This was written to Abraham. It is written to the descendants of Jacob. It's written to the Jewish people. The, this is a summary here of what this is to prepare our hearts to know that the sovereign ways of God, that He is the Lord our God and that His judgments are in all the earth. In fact, one of the things you see here is that this psalm is filled with the sovereign acts of God. Psalm 105 is all about the sovereignty of God. In fact, you even, even can, can read it that history really is His story from start to finish because it's God who initiated the covenant with Abraham. We'll see that in verses 9-11. through 11. It's God who carried out this covenant. We'll see that in verses 12-15. to 15. We see that God is the one who brought the famine upon the land in verse 16. And God is the one who sent Joseph into Egypt to rescue his family. It's God who caused the people of Egypt to flourish. Verse 24, it's God who turned the hearts of the Egyptians against the Hebrews. It's God who sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. It's God who brought all the devastating plagues upon Egypt. It's God who brought the people out of Egypt. It's God who protected them in the wilderness. 
with the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It's God who satisfied them with manna. It's God who gave them water to drink when they were thirsty. It's God who did all these things. You just need to look through there and see how many times He, 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 He did this. It wasn't just natural circumstance. It wasn't just, just random chance of history. It was God intervening, hands involved in history. And what He was in the Old Testament, I would hold He is still involved today. That should all lead us to praise the Lord because He is sovereign over the affairs of men. He's sovereign over the history of Israel. And as it says here, He's sovereign over all the lands, over all the earth. Verse 7. And then comes, I think, the key statement of all the psalm. Verse 8. He remembered His covenant forever. In fact, that's why God was faithful to Israel. Next week, when we look at Psalm 106, how unfaithful they are to God, you'd think that God would just say, you guys, well, I'm just done with you. Well, he tried to say that in Exodus 33. Moses prayed and God says, okay, I will, I will stay faithful to that, that covenant. Thanks for reminding me, Moses. But time and time again, they were unfaithful. They were unfaithful. But the theme of this psalm is that God is faithful. He remembered his covenant. And let's not take this lightly. God made this promise. He made this promise to Abraham. Verse 9. I'm sorry. He made this covenant forever is what it says. And the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. A thousand generations just means forever. This is a command. His covenant to Abraham is never going to cease. This is like, the, like a, a pinnacle covenant that he made. He's never going to forget that. So you say, well, what promise did he make? Verses 9 through 11. And the covenant which he had made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, and he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, here's the covenant part of the covenant to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. This takes us back to Genesis chapter 12. The first three verses speaks about how God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, brought him in. And basically, God chose Abraham. There's no reason why he would choose Abraham. In fact, we don't even know if he was a believer when he called him out of that. He just appeared to him, says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And as he says, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I'm going to give you this land, Abraham, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. So also you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to bless you. And from you is going to become a blessing to all the earth. Of course, that was fulfilled in Jesus, that through Abraham, Jesus came and that from him came a blessing to all the earth. Those who believe and repent, not just the Jewish people. And it says here that God confirmed it to Isaac and to Jacob. And if you read through Genesis, Genesis 12 starts the first covenant. He repeats it in chapter 15 to Abraham. He repeats again in 17 to Abraham. He talks to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. And he talks to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. Over and over. Israel is going to be a great nation. They're going to be given a land and they're going to be blessed more than any other people, ethnic people group upon the planet. And that has been true. And that's why so many people hate the Jews. Anti-Semitism is really hatred of God because it hates the people that God has blessed more than any other group of people. And we are called... Here in this psalm, verse 5, to remember his wonders which he has done. And what has he done? He's remembered his covenant. So I almost titled my message this morning, Remember, comma, he remembers. Because that's what this psalm is talking about. We need to remember, verse 5, 
We need to remember what? Remember that he remembers his covenant and everything else just flows about how he remembers his covenant. In fact, look at verse 42 speaks of the same thing. He remembered his holy word with Abraham, his servant. So why did he do all these things? Because he made a promise to Abraham and he's going to stay too true to his promises. And for us, as we think about application today, I think this, this comes to us a little bit differently than it did to Abraham. Because Israel, in Psalm 105, was to look to the covenant that God made with them and how faithful he was to that covenant. We, however, God has given us a covenant. It's called the, help me, it's called the new covenant. God has given us a new covenant. And I think an application of Psalm 105 is this. Let's us look at the covenant that God made with us and let's then rejoice in God's faithfulness throughout church history to that covenant that would even come to us today that we believe in Christ and our sins are forgiven. We're reconciled to Him. And just as Israel turned to, to praise in light of how God was faithful to His covenant, so also we should be turned to praise in light of how God is faithful to the new covenant. You say, well, what is this new covenant you're talking about, Steve? Well, it's the covenant that Jesus made, you remember on the night in which he is betrayed, when he, he instituted the Lord's Supper, which, by the way, we'll celebrate at the end of our, our, our message, my message this morning, when he held up that cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He's talking about what he's going to do. He's going to die upon the cross. And, and, and there he's going to shed his blood for the sins of those who would believe. And we simply need to believe in him. And we believe in him. Then the the... Um, the prediction, the prophecy of the new covenant comes to pass in us. And that's in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, when God says, I'm going to put my law upon your hearts. I'm going to change you from deep within and I will be your God and you shall be my people. There, there's the covenant is that God is going to do something different. It's not just mere external rules. It's the heart. He's always been getting at the heart. But there was not nearly the, the empowerment that there is today with the Holy Spirit come into us and empower us to have a, a genuine heart and desire to, to seek the Lord and to obey Him. In fact, even it says that no one's going to have to teach his brother's neighbor know the Lord, for all will know me from the east to the west. It just speaks about what God's going to do deep within us as we, as we learn of Him and know Him and have this desire. And the, the new covenant was the... The new era in salvation history. The, the new covenant when, when Christ would pay the penalty for sins deserved. And, and we would know full forgiveness. You realize that's something, and this will come up in, in, in Leviticus, that's something that, that the people of the Old Testament never knew. They never knew full, complete forgiveness. And I say that because uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2 says, Otherwise would these sacrifices not have stopped? Because the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a repeated reminder of sins year after year by those sacrifices. He says, though, if, if, if that one sacrifice, if those sacrifices were sufficient, no more sacrifices needed. Guess whose sacrifice was sufficient? Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. That's why it's not repeated. That's why it's a once for all. That is like the sacrifice of these sacrifices as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's just, again, a reflection upon what's most important to us is the sacrifice of Christ. And I say this, down through the ages, God has been faithful to the new covenant which He made to us who believe. And just as Israel looked back to God's faithfulness to Abraham's covenant, so we look back to God's faithfulness to the new covenant which He inaugurated through His blood which stirs us. Right, The repentance for the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to the world. And God has been faithful in that, that all who repent and turn from their sins are forgiven. 
deep within. Well, what I want to do with my time this morning, little as we have, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper also, is just, just kind of go through the psalm pretty quickly, rehash what God did in the Old Covenant, look at how that's a little bit consistent with what He's done in the New Covenant, because there are a lot of parallels there, and then we'll finish by eating the bread and drinking the cup. Well, verses 12 through 15 describe the process that God used to make this people of Israel a great and mighty nation. And you remember that started with Abraham and Sarah, and they were childless. And they were, Abraham was 100, Sarah's pushed 90s. Like, how's this going to happen? It's the way God works. And God, though they began small, God protected them that His promise might prevail. Look at verse 12. It says, when they were only a few men in number, okay, this is looking even past um, Abraham and Sarah, very few and strangers in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another kingdom. He permitted no man to oppress them and reprove kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones and do their prophets no harm. Well, Israel began, as I said, with Abraham and Sarah in their old age. They had a son of the promise, Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau, but Jacob was the chosen one. And then finally, he had 12 sons, and they started to multiply after that, after several generations. But God always protected them when they were small. In fact, you remember the times when, when Abraham lied to Abimelech and to Pharaoh about his wife Sarah, and she went into their harem? God visited these kings, just as it says here in... Um, Uh, Verse 14, he reproved kings for their sakes. He brought plagues upon Pharaoh. And he appeared to Abimelech in a dream and said, you're a dead man. Like, what, what, Lord? And they didn't know. But God held them guilty. God protected Abraham and Sarah because they were going to be this this great nation. He said, don't touch my anointed ones. And down through the ages, they, they prospered more and more and more. They eventually sell the land, but as they were even prospering more and more, he said this, do not touch, verse 15, my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Now, I know that this verse is often used by preachers who don't want to be criticized. All right. Just said, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Right. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying that all Israel is anointed and God's got his covering and protection over all Israel. And they're the ones protected, just like he protects and keeps the church, as Jesus says, I hold them and no one shall snatch me out of their hand. And he even says, and I think it's Revelation chapter three, verse five, that I will keep them the hour of testing, the hour of trial, and my arms are going to be around them, though the trial and test are going to come. They're going to persevere. He's going to keep us until the end. And God did that even with the church when they began small in number, only a dozen disciples, one defected. Jesus made this promise to them, though, he says, I will build my church. And God says, don't touch my anointed. Don't touch my church. When Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, they were not put to death. The council of Gamaliel is this. Well, stay away from these men. Let them alone. Because if this plan or action is from men, it will be overthrown. Just like other plans have been overthrown. But it's from God. It won't be overthrown. And if you fight against them, you might find yourself fighting against God. And so they were released and the gospel spread. Like it says there in, in Acts chapter 5, after they were released, that they went every day in the temple and house to house. They kept right on preaching and teaching Jesus is the Christ. It just spread throughout all of Jerusalem. You remember when Peter was in prison in Acts chapter 12? 
John had been killed the previous day. Herod said, oh, that gets favor from people. And then he was going to go after Peter. And uh, God protected Peter. It's interesting here. He didn't protect John in the sovereign plan of God. Didn't protect Stephen, but had his covering over his people. Remember when Paul came into Corinth? He was about ready to leave because he was always run out of town. He said, you stay in Corinth. Don't fear But keep on speaking because no one's going to attack you in this city because I have many people in this city. See, God elected many people in that city. The gospel needed to come to them. And Paul was the one who's going to come to them and he's going to protect them while he's there in Corinth as he was for 18 months. Now, the fact that God is protecting his people doesn't mean that the people of God have escaped without difficulty. I mean, case in point, John. Case in point, Stephen. Case in point, verse 16. And he called for a famine upon the land. And he broke the whole staff of bread. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. And the king sent and released him. The rulers of the people sent him free. And he made him lord of his house and ruler over his possessions to imprison his princes at will that he might teach his elders wisdom. And so Israel came into Egypt And thus Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Ham is just another name for Egypt. Uh, Just poetically using a a different name there. But these these verses tell the story of Joseph who endured great suffering, sold into slave by his brothers, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, unjustly imprisoned. That's what he even says there. He He was thrown in prison. He had fetters around him. Verse 18. Betrayed by his fellow prisoners who promised to say, okay, yes, I'll tell a Pharaoh when you get out that you can interpret these dreams. But they forgot. But yet through it all, God exalted Joseph second only to Pharaoh. And it was through his position of authority that eventually rescued Israel from the, ha- from the famine to lead them into the land of Egypt. Right? That's what verse 16 is talking about here, right? He called for a famine upon the land. God did that. And eventually, verse 17, he sent a man before them. Joseph was sold a slave. And this man, Joseph, then finally, verse 23, Israel came into Egypt because of what took place there. And if you know the story, if you read Genesis 37 to 50, you know the story and how wonderful that is. But it was God who sent Joseph ahead to save life. But things were looking pretty bleak there for a while. It wasn't all roses for Joseph as he was there in prison. And that's, that's what it is with, with church history. When things look bleak, God rescues His people. And God always provides for His people. Even when things looked bleak in the days of Elijah, there still was a remnant. He said there's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal, though he thought he himself was alone. In the dark ages, right, when the the light of the Gospel was only flickering and there was only a, a faint hope, there still were the people like John Wycliffe and John Huss and Martin Luther and John Calvin key men in the days of the Reformation whose fruit we are reaping today still. As they said, no, God is sovereign and Christ is sufficient and the Scriptures are our only bearer of truth. And, and, and God has brought us today out of the Reformation to understand where we are. And You might think about today. Think about Christians in Iraq. We prayed for them in our prayer meeting this morning where ISIS is, is coming in and and they're saying, you either convert to Islam or you get out or you die. And so they're eradicating Iraq of, of any Christians. And you might fret and say, huh, what's going what's to happen in the church in the Middle East? The Christians are out of Iraq. You know what? Newsflash, the church is going to be just fine in the Middle East. Right? God is going to do His work in His way, in His time. 
God knows what he's doing. He's going to build his church. Even when there are bleak times, God has always been faithful. How he's going to do it, I don't know. But there's been times where the church has been weak. God has brought it into a measure of strength. There's been time when the, the church has flourished, just like Israel. Verse 24, he caused his people to be very fruitful, made them stronger than their adversaries. Now, this is after the time of Joseph. Several generations, right? 400 years later, we've got Israel going from 70 people in the land of Goshen to now a million or two or three. We don't even know, but they are, they are prospering and God stirred hatred on the part of the Egyptians, right? Verse 25, He turned their heart to hate His people. God is the one who stirred the hearts of the Egyptians to hate the Jewish people so that all this stuff about the plagues could happen. And you got to note that God is the one who stirred their heart to hate His people because apart from adversity, maybe they never left Egypt. But God uses difficult times in our life to bring about wonderful results many times. And the result here, the story of the Exodus, is the opportunity for God to demonstrate His power in Egypt to rescue His people from the bondage of slavery. And verses 26 through 41... For the sake of time, I'm not going to read them here this morning again. I've already read them once, but it it speaks about how the plagues came and the plagues came and and what God did and gave them opportunities for Pharaoh to let the people go. And he refused. These ten plagues came upon Egypt. And then Israel, as they left, plundered the Egyptians. On the way out, they got gold and silver and jewelry because then the Egyptians, how glad they were. These people are a menace to us. Let them go. And how God provided and protected them with a cloud and the fire, and how it provided food and water to sustain them in the wilderness, and how they came out of the land with great joy. Look at verse 43. He brought forth His people with joy, and His chosen ones with a a joyful shout. And then verse 44 is even talking about coming into the land. He gave them also the lands of the nations, that they might take possessions of the fruit of the people's labors. We need well to remember, verse 42, that God remembers His Word faithful to His servant. And in Psalm 105, it's all about the land. He promised the land. And though these people went and they went off to Egypt, He's bringing them back into the land. And what God has promised to do, God will do because He is is faithful. And I just close with this final verse, verse 45, right here at the end. It says, So that they might keep His statutes and observe His laws. Praise the Lord. If I had a third point today, it was a little bit like my third point last week is bless the Lord. Right? Bless the Lord, remember His benefits, bless the Lord. And this morning, glorify God, right? make known His, his remember His faithfulness, and maybe last is to observe His laws or, or obey Him or keep it. Because that's what it says. God did all this, bring them into the land that they might keep His statutes and observe His ordinance. Praise the Lord. Now, of course, when they did that, they, they failed. They, they didn't come. They didn't follow the Mosaic Law, even though in Exodus 24 they said, all that God has spoken, we will do, we will do that, we will obey. But they failed very quickly. Just Exodus 32 and the the golden calf, they obeyed, disobeyed right away. But this is what God produces in us, is a fruit of obedience. And I say each Sunday morning as we come to give praise to God and and glorify God, that that ought to be our desire. Is is that your desire to, to love Him and trust Him and obey Him? I trust it is. Well, this morning we're going to remember the new covenant. Remember what Jesus inaugurated in His blood. 
This is remember when Jesus, in that last night when he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples around there during the Passover time. And, uh, and as there was food and everything there, he just took the meal and he said, this bread is like my body. And I'm going to be crushed and broken, but it's for you. It says this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's for you. And that's what we rejoice in is we remember his covenant. We remember God's faithfulness to the new covenant. And what's his faithfulness? He promised to redeem us from our sins. Promised complete forgiveness in the cross. And we know that it's his covenant that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How different than that first covenant which they broke. We know that all things work together for our good to those who love God who are called according to our purpose, to his purpose. We know that God supplies all things for us that we need, supplying all our need. We know that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. We know that we have been adopted into his family. We know that we are, are free from condemnation because we are bought with a price. God has been faithful to all those things in the new covenant. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, I just encourage you to reflect and think upon the, the glories of Christ, of what he has done in the new covenant, and may it stir our hearts to worship. So let me pray after the musicians, they can, they can come. And then we will sing some songs and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And This is for those of you who believe in Christ, who are trusting in Him. And if that's, that's your heart, repented of your sin, believing in Jesus, walking with Him, then take the bread and, and drink the cup. If today finds you not a believer in Jesus, just let it pass. This is for those who have understood what God has done are seeking to glorify Him and are seeking not to put confidence in the flesh but confidence in the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray for Psalm 105 that it would become a, a familiar psalm to all of us, that we would become students of history, that we would rejoice and cherish the fact of how, how good You were to Israel how, in the Abrahamic covenant and how that has flowed into the New Covenant was the seed of the new covenant, but how good you are to us in the new covenant. Father, I pray that all the blessings that we have in Jesus would come to our minds. May you flood our minds in them as we think of his death, his burial, his resurrection. And eat the bread and drink the cup as you commanded. I pray, O oh Lord, that it would stir our hearts afresh to worship you in greater and greater ways as we seek your face. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.